Hello, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. The road to $1 million isn't easy or fast. Did you know that only 9% of nonprofits in the Los Angeles area ever grow to manage a budget of a million dollars or more? Ten years ago, when Richard Reyes founded the Plus Me Project, with a budget of just $4,000 and a dream to provide mentorship and role models for youth through storytelling, being part of that 9% was not on his mind. But now the Plus Me Project is preparing to cross that milestone. An exciting part of this achievement is that Plus Me's own growth story is still unfolding, expanding, and providing guidance and inspiration to other nonprofits, just as their mentors provide role models for the youth they lead. As a nonprofiteer and consultant, I've seen the results when nonprofits rely on storytelling to build supporter relationships, and what happens when those same supporters have their story silenced. Spoiler alert, it's called donor churn. Join me in listening as Richard Reyes details the ways that new fundraising tactics like peer-to-peer are a natural fit for their mission, what their COVID pivot and response taught the Plus Me team, and how their usage of and reliance on technology has evolved on their road to $1 million. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. So we're creating this inclusive environment, building between diverse communities to ensure that our young people can thrive. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story then you're doing it wrong okay that is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board the best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world if you're going to be sustainable you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached one of the principal values that we carry as an organization is to lift grace over guilt. And we believe that grace is the greatest agent for change that anyone can ever experience. We all need each other in terms of other nonprofits working together to solve things. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Thank you for joining us again today. My name is David Schwab. I am the head of marketing at Fundraise. And today we have my friend Richard Reyes joining us from the Plus Me Project. Richard, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we're really excited to have you here today. Can't wait to dig into the story of the Plus Me Project how you've seen it grow and change and mature over the last 10 years. Talk about some of the big initiatives that you guys have going on in 2023. So really excited to dig into that story. Sounds great. Before we do that, I would love to ask a very beginning level question. It's one that has kind of sparked a conversation I've seen online and on social media. So I want to pose it here. What was it that first brought you into the nonprofit sector? Obviously, you started your own organization, so you have a passion for what you're doing. But was that your first entry point to the nonprofit sector? Or what was it that brought you here? Yeah, Nonprofit for Dummies, the book brought me here. Just as a college student, realizing that I had a story and I started sharing it with students, there was a connection that that was felt. And I knew I wanted to continue to share my story and help youth, but didn't know how I could 
either make a living or, or make it something that would sustain. And when I researched how to ultimately make this something that could last, I realized the nonprofit path was going to have to likely be the way. So I bought Nonprofit for Dummies, read the book 10 years ago, and took the small steps to, to get us to where we are now. But ultimately, the, the, the passion was always there. Uh, growing up, I didn't have access to role models and just wanted to bring more role models into classrooms to share our stories to help inspire youth. That's awesome. Well, on that subject, would you mind telling us a little bit more about the Plus Me Project? We got a little bit of a sneak peek there, how you started it, some of the origin story. But yeah. Let's talk about you know what it is, what you guys do, hear a little bit more about your heart for the organization, why you started it, and what you guys are doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Richard. I started the Plus Me Project 10 years ago. Uh, really growing up in Los Angeles, I didn't have access to a lot of individuals that inspired me. I didn't know a lot of people that went to college or were pursuing careers that they were passionate about. And ultimately, they never really talked about their struggles. So often as a kid, I felt like I was the only one going through a lot of the challenges that I was going through, when in reality, that, that wasn't the case. In college, I started sharing my story to youth, talking about how I was the first in my family to get into college and really noticed how much a story can inspire students. That's really what we get to do on a day-to-day -day basis. The Plus Me Project believes everyone has a story that matters and we get to bring relatable role models into classrooms throughout Los Angeles and beyond to share our journeys with youth, helping them realize there are others that have gone through similar challenges and found different types of successes and that they're not alone. Since we believe everyone has a story that matters, we know that those students have stories as well. When I was in high school, I had no clue that I had a story. Uh, I had multiple challenges getting into college. One of those was writing a college personal statement because I couldn't articulate to a college who I was and why I mattered. And that's the heart of our work. Not only do we bring role models to share our stories, but we help students and we guide them through that self-reflection process to understand what is their story and helping them ultimately share that story and write it for their college personal statements. Very cool. It's great to see the passion you had from a lived experience turn into a benefit and a resource to the next generation of students who otherwise would have gone without. So it's really cool to, to hear about that, to see the impact you're having. You know, 10 years later, you guys are on this really awesome journey called the Road to Million campaign. Can you tell us more about what that is, what it means to you internally, what it means to your donors or your supporters, what it means to those people that you serve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so being in our 10th year, you know, we realized a lot of organizations don't even make it to this milestone. And as we were reflecting on coming up on our 10th year, we also realized that we were about to hit the million dollar budget marker, uh, which in LA County, only 9% of all nonprofits ever hit that milestone. So we thought we would really merge both together and celebrate throughout an entire year long campaign on the road to a million. I remember starting this organization year one, we had $4,000 as an operating budget and just thinking of growing something from not knowing anything on how to fundraise or how to really build an organization to getting to where we are now. We wanted to tell our story and inspire others in the community. So throughout this year and our 10th year, we're on the road to a million. Uh, the goal is to raise a million dollars, but ultimately those funds are going to reach six other goals that we set throughout this year, reaching 100,000 students, uh, providing 10,000 journals, inspiring 1,000 supporters, serving 100 schools, awarding 10 scholarships, and then ultimately telling our story throughout the year of how we got here and what we then are going to do over the next 10 years. It must feel a little surreal 
to 10 years ago have started with a $4,000 operating budget to now be at a place where you're only at less than what 10% of organizations in your area can even experience. Yeah. That is truly insane growth. What are some of the unexpected, exciting parts of growing that fast? But what have also been some of the unexpected hurdles or difficult learning points that you've gone through over the last 10 years? So, you know, even though it's been 10 years, really, I committed full time about six years ago. So in the past six years is really when all of this extreme growth took place, which which is exciting. And in those six years, you know, I got to see a lot. I think the one thing that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So when I started Plus Me 10 years ago, bought nonprofit for dummies, it wasn't planned to be my career path. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'd be a full-time executive director. So ultimately making that decision was a big shift. And then realizing, well, you're going to have a team, right? Like I didn't necessarily think that I would be able to manage a group of individuals that has grown to the size that we're at. And that's special because, you know, I know I came from a a job previously where I hated going to work. I was not happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And I know there are people like that in the world right now. And thinking that we have a space here at our organization that has support for these team members that just love coming to work, really love the work that we're doing. Sometimes they spend more time at work than they do at home. And building that culture is so special. So I think for me, being able to not only have this organization that is impacting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of students and uh, volunteers, but the staff, that that means so much to me to really create a space where they feel safe, taken care of, and love what they get to do and, and share that passion is one of the, I think, highlights that, that I've experienced that I was not expecting going into this journey. Yeah, some of the hurdles, right? There's a lot of different challenges that are come our way over the past 10 years, trying to understand how we can grow and sustain a budget so that we can pay those people. Right now we have eight full-time employees. All of them have benefits and just being able to grow the budget to be able to make sure that that is something that we can sustain year over year and then grow it year over year has been a challenge, but we've kind of have focused on slow growth and figuring it out along the way. And it's been a lot of fun to innovate and create and just together as a team envision what the next chapter of the Plus Me project is going to be. Awesome. Let's focus in there on that point of innovation. It's one of our topics on the the podcast this season is innovation in the nonprofit sector. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, but I'd like to focus there. Maybe we can dig into a little bit of the secret sauce of your growth. What do you feel has been one of the most important factors to the growth of the Plus Me project in the last few years, or maybe since you were able to go full time? What has been that, you know, secret sauce that has sustained this growth? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that has helped sustain our growth is the consistency in putting experiences together that people can connect with. So as a storytelling organization, we tell stories and we are able to curate events. They were in person before COVID, then they went fully virtual during the pandemic, and now they're happening in person again. But I think that's something that we never lost sight of. It was beautiful during the pandemic when we were able to create spaces online that brought people together, that brought people to connect and understand the struggles that we were going through. We published a book of stories from the pandemic of what our students experienced. And having those spaces where we were able to bring people together to understand and experience what we were doing and the lives that we were changing through our work allowed people to give more, allowed people to share more, become ambassadors for our cause. 
So I think some of the secret sauce that we have is just really honing in on what we do, which is storytelling and always remembering to create the experience, whether it's, you know, virtually in person, wherever we are to have people understand the, the power of story and connect it back to their own. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit more about storytelling, because I think that's such a unique aspect of what the Plus Me Project brings to the table. With so many nonprofit executives and leaders and organizations that I talk to, storytelling is a distant afterthought. And they're only looking for stories for the sake of fundraising purposes or putting together the next appeal, which there's value and there's need for that. But with storytelling at the core of the Plus Me Project, how have you seen that impact the culture of your organization, impact those that you serve, but also impact your revenue growth? Because that's a a critical part to hitting your goals and continuing to grow and impact people. With storytelling at the core of your organization, how have you seen that translate to fundraising? Well, you know, storytelling is universal, right? Just like in our tagline, everyone has a story that matters. I think it's one of those things where we're in a space where if you give us five or 10 minutes to sit down with you, we are going to be able to get you to understand why our mission resonates with you and why you should connect with it. Some people were not able to understand their story throughout most of their lives, maybe even today as adults. So we're able to help them understand the value that our content will help them. Others made that a realization or epiphany as they grew up in life and they understand what it would have been like had they had some of these tools and resources when they were younger. So I think just reminding everyone that you have a story, no matter where you came from, no matter what your background is, there's things that you've gone through in your life. And the thing that we focus on is personal storytelling, right? Like we're not telling stories of fantasy or things that haven't happened. We're talking about what we have been through, our lived experiences and getting individuals to showcase vulnerability. And that's hard. It's not something that we do often. It's not something that happens on the day to day. So we're really going into spaces as strangers oftentimes, right? Some of these classrooms, some of these workspaces that we enter, they don't necessarily know a lot about us. And we dig right into the heart of story, talking about people, places, struggles, accomplishments, and lessons. So I think because we center in on something that's so universal, it translates so well with donors because they're able to connect to it. We're asking them questions that get them to self-reflect in a lot of our campaigns or in a lot of the events that they attend. And it almost allows them to have, you know, that moment where they're going back into their journey and thinking of a positive moment right? Or a challenging moment that they overcame and understanding that if they're sharing that story, they're also helping someone else. Because when we share our stories, we help others feel less alone. And it's a powerful tool that we as individuals have. And that's something that we get to do on a daily basis uh, at the Plus Me Project. It's awesome. Building relationship through storytelling and inviting your community and your supporters and your donors into that relationship. I see that as a powerful tool that you've been able to rely on as your organization's grown. Bringing it back to some of that growth that's brought you to where you are today, a big part of reaching this milestone as a nonprofit organization is a concerted effort into fundraising. Yeah, A lot of organizations I talk to that go from the quote-unquote startup phase into the large point where very few organizations reach have to change the way they look at fundraising. It goes from being funded by those who are in your personal network and you have direct relationship with to those who you have 
a peripheral relationship with to now I would expect that you're being funded by people you've never met in person or had a direct conversation with. How have your fundraising strategies and programs and goals changed over the years? I mean, so our fundraising strategies have changed a lot over the years. You know, in the beginning, it was a lot of that, just personal connections, getting the people that we know in, you know, myself, the team, the board to to ask immediate networks. And there were some campaigns, but it was just kind of like, let's make asks at certain times of the year. And then we really had to focus in on building long-term development strategies and plans that have things calendared well out in advance and being consistent in when we are asking within our community. So, you know, me being able to get people in my network to give, getting those individuals involved at events through initiatives where they're really connecting to the mission, they've become ambassadors. And now there's so many people that I don't even know that donate to the Plus B project because of some of these different things. I think we also took a big step in peer-to-peer fundraising, which was something we didn't do for a long time. And that has just been tremendous getting our volunteers connected into the work and empowering them to spread the word and fundraise on our behalf has resulted in just us growing the fundraising from individual donors significantly. Uh, We also created a monthly giving program. So being able to have consistent dollars come in from core individuals has been huge, uh, as well as now starting to really embrace more uh, corporations and being able to get company matches Mm -hmm. and volunteer hour donations from these companies that we just weren't tapping into at all. So there's still so much opportunity out there that we know connecting our board members, them connecting us to more individuals to just have time to sit down with people, share our mission and explain the ways that they can get involved and invest in our work. Uh, You talked about something that I'm a really big fan of, and that's peer-to-peer fundraising. I think it's one of the most underutilized resources in the nonprofit sector because you're allowing people to do what is at the core of your mission, tell their own story and tell their own why. I remember working with an organization a few years ago and we sat down and I said, look, you're bringing on a ton of new donors, but you're losing more than 75% of those donors in their first year. Let's look at what's happening. And, And we looked, they welcomed the donors and told the donors why their gift made a direct impact to the organization and to the people the organization served, but they never gave their donors a chance to share why they made that gift or why they chose to support that cause. So I'd be interested in hearing as you've leaned more into peer-to-peer fundraising, how have you seen donors and supporters using their own network and their own community and their own uh, microphone, if you will, to tell their story and tell your story to their audience and their people and their network? You know, when it comes to our peer-to-peer fundraising over the years, we have now built a process. So we've had, we've had to learn a lot over the past few years. And the way we do peer-to-peer fundraising now is through the individuals sharing their stories. So they go through an entire onboarding process with our team where they're able to experience some of our curriculum themselves. They're tapping into what their story is. They're then sharing their story in a classroom with youth. So by allowing these individuals to completely be involved in the process, it brings out their story. And then we walk them through an entire fundraising training where we're giving them the tools and the platform and all the resources to just amplify that message. And of course, you know, when you get 100 volunteers involved in a campaign, not all of them either are ready or are excited to promote your organization. However, when it's done in a group environment and there are other people there that can encourage them and kind of showcase where they are uh, along the way, 
that positive peer pressure or that positive encouragement can really get them to find ways to use social media, their networks to promote the the, the peer-to-peer links. And we've seen a lot of money raised from individuals, right? You can get some individuals who might hit a $100 goal, but then you have other individuals that raise thousands of dollars. And the more individuals that you're getting to do that, those numbers can can grow significantly and allow you as an organization to to do more with, with what's there. That's awesome. Don't go away. When our episode returns, Richard goes on to explain how the tools and resources the Plus Me Project relies on really makes a difference in their day-to-day success. Stay tuned. And now, enjoy this segment sponsored by Fundraise, the world's most innovative and friendly nonprofit fundraising platform. Last fall, Nonstop Nonprofit took the podcast on the road to Next After's 2022 Neo Summit in Kansas City. At the conference, Justin had the chance to catch up with Emily Taylor, principal at Teeny Big. Listen in as Emily shares how listening and prototyping with donors can make a lasting impact on your overall donor experience. Emily, thank you so much for joining the podcast. How are you? I'm well. I'm uh, nice and relaxed after presenting yesterday. Uh, It's nice to have it out of the way, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Before we jump into some questions about what you discussed from stage, tell me a little bit about yourself and why nonprofits. Sure. So my name is Emily Taylor. I'm based out of Chicago, and I help nonprofits with strategic listening, which is a lot of different qualitative research and really helping them understand their audience. And nonprofits, to me, I've just always been involved in nonprofits. I spent a lot of my life in the for-profit world, but I would always volunteer. I'd always be on boards. And so I just felt like it was time to merge my worlds. Yeah. Awesome. So you help nonprofits listen. Can you like dig into that a little bit more? What does that mean you know, at the like, day-to-day level for organizations? Sure. Well, and especially because this conference is so much about data and you know, collecting that behavioral data. Listening, I find, is a balance to that. So we can find a lot about people's behaviors from data. But if we don't also listen to people, we don't necessarily understand why they're behaving that way and how we can repeat those behaviors through different channels or different mediums. So listening is really just about really talking to people, giving them a chance to give you feedback and maybe new ideas or new ways of thinking about things so that you can connect with them. Got it. And have you, in, in working with nonprofits on this, like have they been receptive to, to this practice? What are sort of like the challenges, obstacles you have to yeah. overcome? I, I'm actually surprised how hard it is sometimes, you know, the even you know as i'm watching some of the presentations like listening is sometimes referred to as just you know looking at your google analytics and, and data and, and that's part of it but yeah. but to actually get out and talk to people there's there's some hesitation with like how do i take what people say a one person says or five people say and interpret that into my audience of a thousand or ten thousand and you know there's just there's some processes for doing that and it's really it's more about getting ideas and information than making decisions yeah. through listening. And so that's usually what I'm doing is really helping people understand that value of hearing the why from people and how do you incorporate that and combine it with your data. Got it. Fascinating. Yesterday, you talked about prototyping. Can you talk a little bit about, unpack that a little bit, what that means and what the sort of main theme of, of the talk was? Sure. So one of the challenges with listening is that you, you know, people say a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily reflect their behavior. And so prototyping huh. is a way we can get ideas out in front of people and 
give them something to react to versus just imagine and think about. And so it helps us get closer to the truth. Um, but it also allows people to bring new ideas to the table. So you might prototype different stories you could tell. You could prototype different Facebook ads. You could prototype different you know, registration pages and yeah. share those with people before you actually implement them yeah. um, so that you can improve them. Interesting. Yeah, we, we have this process actually at Fundraise. So we're, we're a software company, uh, fundraising platform. When we, when we get feedback from customers, we used to like, you know, go on customer calls and say, hey, what do you need? What do you want? Like, what can be better? And what we found was we would take their feedback, we would build the thing, but then they're like, no, that's not what I, that's not what I wanted. Like, that's what you said. Uh-huh. And so what, what our, our new, the process we have like since kind of used, it sounds a little bit more like what you're talking about in ProTapping is we build like a th- few different things, ProTap a few different sort of like features. And we will survey customers and ask them like which one is, which one meets your needs or which one, you know, solves the problem that like you've, you've stated, like in the most efficient and effective, effective way. And so it's interesting. It's, it's like the psychology of like asking someone to respond or to give feedback could be actually different than their behavior. It's, it's, it's a super interesting concept. Yeah, I, I know like people bring up the, you know, the Ford, if you'd ask people what they'd want, they'd want a faster horse, yeah. not a car. But what I take away from that is still that they had that desire for something faster. Yeah. And so that's what you can learn, but they can't tell you how to implement that, right? right? They can't tell you what it should look like. And yeah. so that's where prototyping can really help get ideas out in front of that, that meet their why, their, their sort of motivation, that desire for something faster. And you can try to start bringing it to life with the resources that you have in different ways and figuring out the best one. Yeah, interesting. My like assumption, I don't have like data to back this up, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, is my assumption is a, a lot of nonprofits aren't probably doing this well, right? They don't probably understand who their audience is, what their audience needs. Why do you think that is? If that is actually true. My hypothesis is that you know the, there isn't the funding for it. You might okay. have the funding for running a campaign, you might have, you know, the budget for education, but but not necessarily the research. Yeah. And so and and it's a lot easier to sell, you know, quantitative data research to leadership because you get very clear results. Right. And qualitative is a little fuzzier. But I really think in just seeing all the presenters at this conference, there's such a need for feeling and emotion and why um, behind things. And so I really just keep pushing how important it is to balance that with your quantitative data. Absolutely. What are you looking forward to in 2023? Like what in, uh, projects or ideas that you're hoping to bring to life in, in the new year? Oh, I'm still working on the rest of the year <laughs> and what the, the next year is going to look like. But I really... I really want to, you know, lean into to helping nonprofits listen. I've done a little bit of different work in the past, and so I really want to lean into that and help them, you know, better understand their audiences and their stakeholders and help them translate that into strategic decisions for like a buzzwords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so now we've got some uh, some rapid fire questions. All right, all right. Um, all right. So Digital reading or an actual book? Uh, actual book. Actual book. All right. Yeah, I like I like hardcovers too. I think that's like if I'm gonna read, it's gotta be it's gotta be a hardcover. Yeah, I need something to do off yeah. the screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pizza or salad? One thing you can eat the rest uh, of your life. Pizza. It's pizza. Too hard to turn that down. Salad. From Chicago. So <laughs> oh, we got so uh, much there good you pizza. go. Beach or the mountains? I would say beach. Beach. Yeah. yeah. Just chilling. Yeah. Football or football? Oh, but definitely football. Football. <laughs> <laughs> Um, dogs or cats? Very much cats. Cats, okay. Yeah. Do you have cats? I do. I have two cats. Two cats, awesome. Yeah. Funnel cake or cheesecake? Ooh, I 
go funnel cake. Funnel cake. Yeah, uh, a funnel cake. A little little sugar on top, powdered sugar. Mm. All right, last one. This one is uh, this one's a hard one. The Goonies or the Sandlot? Oh, Goonies. Goonies. I don't think I've seen Sandlot. Oh, you haven't seen Sandlot? No. Oh, you got to watch Sandlot. <laughs> it, it's it's a uh, it maybe doesn't hold up as well, but uh, it's a classic. That's good. I've 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 been watching a lot of the movies I watched as a kid with my daughter now. Oh, so nice. I, I actually just watched Sandlot with my four kids. And they like, loved it. They like were cracking up. So it's a good uh, yeah, one. Yeah, I love to see what still holds up. I mean, yeah. I've got Spaceballs on the list. Oh, that's a good, that's a good Star one. Star Wars. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Hey, welcome back to Nonstop Nonprofit. Before our fundraise sponsor break, Richard was telling us about the powerful ways that peer to peer fundraising has impacted the Plus Me project. Now let's get back to the conversation. One of the things that has kept me in the nonprofit sector and one of the things that I always tend to gravitate to is the tools and the resources and the platforms, kind of what you were talking about there where you're equipping your donors to go out and tell their story. But I, I want to talk for a minute about the tools and platforms and resources you have because we could have someone listening who's you know where you were 10 years ago or six years ago going, okay, well, I just went full time. What's next? I, I've got to get out of Excel what's next or i need a website and i can't i can't keep doing this paypal thing what's next can you talk to us a little bit about your process for navigating your digital transformation might be too buzzy of a word for us but you yeah. led an organization through covid where it was digital or don't be an organization so maybe as you were as you were navigating those waters going from largely in person events to digital events breaking this milestone of a million dollar operating budget or a million dollars raised this year what has been some of your criteria or your your process in evaluating platforms and tools and resources for your organization, for your people, for yourself, for your donors? Yeah. Yeah, I think over the last two years, technology has become such an important integral part of our work. And, and truthfully, it wasn't before. I mean, we've gone through, I think, three or four different donor platforms to now be with Fundraise. So I think understanding the time that you're going to invest to get the system set up, it's going to be well worth that investment long term. Some of the different platforms that we've had before just had limited features and didn't allow us to take on a lot of the different opportunities that were there. And you don't know until you see different platforms, right? So until you research and go out there and understand what a platform can do, you might not even know what, what the possibilities are. So right now, we're, we're able to not only do peer to peer fundraising, but there are so many additional features that Fundraise offers that we're already seeing adding value to this campaign that's happening in March. Uh, people are already fundraising in January for a campaign that's not till mm -hmm. the end of March because of, I think, the platform that we're utilizing, the, the way it's integrating to Facebook and the way the dollars are able to come in so seamlessly, uh, the way we're able to customize it to each person. There's just a lot mm -hmm. of beautiful factors that allow the peer-to-peer -peer space to be successful as well as the donor process. So as a donor going to a website, you really want to make sure that it's as easy as possible to get through, that it's as you know, streamlined, but inspiring, right? You want to inspire the donor by, by how they're giving and being able to put video and content and imagery um, in a donor giving page can make a big difference but between maybe a blank PayPal, give this amount to let me tell you the story and why you should give. Mm -hmm. It can give you $50 to maybe $500, depending on who you're attracting. So 
technology investment is so big, not just on fundraising, but really in, in all elements of, of the nonprofit mm-hmm. organization. Yeah. One of our co-founders and CEO, Justin, always says technology is not just an investment in your organization's success. It's an investment in your people's success. I have to imagine that having platforms that either you had outgrown or didn't do all the things you needed to do and you had to figure out ways to work around it or go get new things or build things on top of it could get frustrating. Let me ask this, but how has in recent investments in platforms like Fundraiser or other platforms that you're you're using to grow, how have you seen that or heard that been received by your team and the people on your staff? Yeah, the staff is happy. The staff is able to see the results, right? They're able to give updates at the team meetings. Oh, these dollars are coming in way sooner than they were historically. Or it was so quick to get that page created, whereas before it took so much longer to create. Or yeah, you can just see it's exciting because less time that's put in, there's more time that you're able to invest on really engaging and connecting with people and inspiring them, which then is ultimately going to hopefully result in more dollars that you're seeing come in. So the, the two people on my team that are in the development section have a lot of happy updates and, and exciting updates to share at our team meetings because of the platforms that, that we're using. Awesome. Well, we've I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Right. We've talked about your past, some of the things that have helped you grow, what you're doing now, tools and platforms. Let's fast forward five months from now, July. What's that party going to look like when you guys are crossing the end of the road to million? What does yeah. that party look like? Where's that celebration taking place? Let's all be there together for a few minutes. So <clears throat> the journey started at my college, Occidental College. It's where I discovered my story. It's where I first started sharing it with students. And being able to go full circle is, is what we're going to do. So back at Occidental College in a beautiful space where we're able to bring our donors, our volunteers, some students, past board members, the village that has supported the Plus Me Project over the past 10 years to celebrate and to be able to really understand the impact we've made, reaching over 100,000 students, being able to really just do important work here in Los Angeles. Being able to celebrate together, all of us there celebrating that countdown of year 10, and then being able to unveil what the next 10 years will lead to. It's work that we're going to dig into in the next couple of months to have a real clear vision of where we're going to go. But I think, again, being able to just be present in that moment, I want to be as present at that 10-year celebration as possible and look forward to, to where we're going to continue to go. But it's, it's a special milestone that doesn't still doesn't feel real. I don't know if it'll feel real when, when I'm there, but... It's been a great journey. Awesome. So a little bit ago, you were talking about building culture within your organization and how it's different now having eight full-time people and then part-time people on the side and volunteers and managing an organization of that size compared to managing an organization of one part-time person for four, for four years and then one full-time person for a few years and then having like making your first hire, making your fifth hire. Now, I'm, I'm sure as you look at your growth goals, this year and like, hey, what happens when we hit this milestone? Who's the next critical piece we bring in? Talk to me about how you've intentionally built that culture, specifically thinking about how 
nonprofit professional burnout is such a critical crisis in the industry where we ask people to do more than they know how to do more often than we should be asking to them. What has been your way to navigate some of that? And like you talked about, keep your people so happy and coming to work every day inspired by the mission, but also satisfied in their jobs because it is their full-time work. Yeah. You know, I think culture is key. I think being able to put people first at the heart of it, right? A lot of our missions put people first and we don't necessarily remember that our staff are people and and we have to. If our staff are not happy and able to execute, uh, oftentimes your mission is just not going to be able to, to get fulfilled due to just things that come up. So putting people first has always been something that I've I've believed growing up into my adult years. Uh, as the leader of the Plus Me Project, I make sure that we have clear work hours. Like I do not ever contact my team outside of what our work hours are. There's alignment on what those are. So there's not this overwork element of feeling like you're constantly burned out. There's conversations I have with team members where I tell them, stop working. Like you should not be doing this during these hours, no matter how passionate you are, because there needs mm-hmm. to be a line and there needs to be balance. I think also being able to get people to communicate, to, to really align consistently, having you know those, whether it's shorter meetings or just touch points where you're able to all be in a line on the same page. And you know, as the storytelling organization, we bring our stories in. So we're constantly updating each other on what's going on through our stories and we're able to connect, which I think is so important. You know, you have to get to know your team members there also you know needs to be a balance of you know maybe what what can be shared at some levels in some organizations but i think being able to be vulnerable with your staff and being able to open up through stories will allow people to connect and will allow them to to work smarter as well together awesome Ran- kind of random question here are you mostly in office are you virtual hybrid where's your staff work what's that environment like yeah, so our team, we're fully remote. Uh, we all work okay. from home. Uh, we do all of our work in classrooms, so we're at the site. We do get mm-hmm. in person maybe twice a month to collaborate, but a fully remote team. What's it been like building that intentional culture with a fully remote team? It's It's been intentional, really finding ways mm-hmm. to bring us together and really focusing in on what does each person need, right? Everyone needs something a little bit different, so being able to understand you know, what do you need from me? Some people really want to be together. So we make sure that team members are meeting in person whenever they can. Some people maybe prefer to be fully remote from their home. So being able to just find that balance and giving people what they need, constantly checking in with them and just showing up the, the best way that, that I possibly can in these meetings to inspire and uplift and, mm-hmm. and be a listening ear for them when they have something to share that of what they're going through. I think it's important. Yeah. I like the what you keep coming back to your focus for this, you're being present. I think that's so critical when you're leading virtual teams. And it's awesome that you guys have the ability to be together in person regularly because you're all in the LA area. Fundraise, we we transitioned to a fully virtual organization a few years ago in the midst of the pandemic, like many companies did. And since yeah. then we've expanded across the country and now internationally. So like you said, leading fully virtual teams that aren't in the same time zone, aren't in the same states or countries or even continents, it's about intentionality and being present. One of the things that I learned when I made the switch from an in-person office environments to a virtual office environment is uh, what I call unintentional 
communications that you have intentionally, where you're walking back from a meeting or grabbing a cup of coffee and there's those conversations about the project or the debrief that happens from the co- for the conference room to your cubicle. I've found that you have to intentionally replace those when you're a virtual team because there's so much that gets missed in what's unsaid. Yeah. Even more so maybe the communication that's left unsaid in a virtual environment than the communication that's in a virtual env- or in a virtual or an in-person environment. So just inspired and, and motivated by you to be more present with my team hearing that story. So I have a couple questions left for you. One, we would be remiss not to pick your brain uh, as a founder, having led an organization to a point where most organizations don't get to see. What would you have told yourself if you were sitting across yourself from the table, filling out those 501c3 papers for the first time? Like If you'd been sitting on the other side of that table, what would you want to know? What would you wish you had known or what would you wish someone could have told you? I think 10 years ago, starting this, I would have honed in more on really understanding what having diverse revenue streams means for an organization. I think sometimes as a nonprofit, we maybe have these preconceived ideas that all money needs to come from grants or all money needs to come from donors. And if you don't have a lot of experience in either of those things, learning fundraising development and learning grant writing are two huge milestones that take time. And I think that that's what happened the first couple of years is we had very, we had growth, very slow growth because of that. It wasn't until we were able to really reshift our thinking to think about, well, how else can we bring in revenue to help grow our budget? We have a fee-for-service model now with our workshops. We have journals Mm -hmm. that we're able to sell in bulk. Uh, We're able to still fundraise, but now we can do it peer-to-peer and we can use corporate Mm -hmm. matching and we have grants and there's, you know, just there's so many different ways that we now are able to bring in revenue. I think had I thought that 10 years ago, it, it may have escalated the growth that we had sooner. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have taken a lot of pressure off of my shoulders and eased a lot of those rejections that I consistently got for the first four to five years from foundations, Mm -hmm. feeling like every foundation I applied to, I got a no and it just, it was tough and it just kept eating at you. And some people I know give up along the way because they get those no's. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I was able to push through those no's and now we're getting the yeses. Mm-hmm. But not putting all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, would help understand the opportunities that could be out there for you as an organization. I think what you said there is so critical is the fundraising world. We say you can never be a one-leg stool or a two-leg stool because at some point you'll fall. Right. If all of, your, right. all of your revenue comes from grants or foundations or individual donors or one or two major donors, that is a great way to prop yourself up. But you've quickly got to find other ways to steady your foundation. And so it's so interesting to hear you talk about the the initiatives you're going in from a fundraising perspective, but also from an industry perspective, creating a model where you're able to sell your services, sell your your resources to those who have the means to pay for those and likely pay the way for those who don't have the means to access them. Exactly. It's something that I'm seeing start to take place across the nonprofit sectors, organizations starting to think of ways to monetize their services or their resources in new and unique ways. So it's, re- it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. And I'm excited to watch that piece specifically of, of your 
revenue stream grow and see how how that matures and changes over the next few years as I think we'll see a bigger shift in the industry for nonprofit organizations thinking more like for-profit organizations and how do we actually monetize our services because we're providing a valuable service. Just because we give our service away doesn't mean it's not valuable nor effective. So how do we monetize it for the people who can afford that to make it available for more people who can't? So really excited to watch you guys do that. All right, Richard, uh, we're getting ready to wrap up, but I like to end each of these sessions with what I call love it, hate it, or not so sure about it. I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions. I want your initial response. Do you love it? Do you hate it? You're not sure about it. And just give us a quick why. Obviously, the big one, number one to ask you about here, artificial intelligence, the nonprofit sector, chat GPT, image generators, video generators, audio generators. What's your take? Not sure about it. I got to dig deeper into all of this. I've been seeing it popping up and I really got to do my research. So come back to me on that. Okay. Giving Tuesday. This one is surprisingly a hot button topic. Not so sure about it in that we did Giving Tuesday for many years and now we've stopped. And I think there, there's a unique way that we've gone about it, but it, there, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And I think, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Fair. Here's a fun one. Direct mail. I'm a fan. I love it. Give me more of it. Send me a handwritten letter, please. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Here's one very on the head for fundraisers everywhere. Pineapple on pizza. Love it with bacon. Oh, good man. Here's one that may not make sense. So I'll get I'll, I'll explain it a little. I live in West Michigan. It's a very Dutch community. Uh, it's a Dutch tradition to have milk with dinner. So what's your take on having milk with dinner as an adult? Hate it. I don't want it. <laughs> That's what I said, too. <laughs> All right, Richard. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today. We learned a lot. I'm excited for everyone to get to listen to this episode, hear your passion, and learn a lot from you like I did. But before we go, I'd love to give you the chance to talk to our audience, give them a way to follow along your road to a million, follow your story, hear some of the stories you're sharing each month. Where's the best way for people to connect with you if they have follow-up questions or follow along your story? Yeah, we'd love for people just to get involved at theplusmeproject.org, the Plus Me Project on Instagram and Facebook. A lot of ways to have you share your story no matter where you're located uh, and learn just about how to realize that everyone has a story that matters. Awesome. Uh, We will make sure to drop links to all three of those sites and and social channels in the show notes and share those out when this episode goes live as well. Thank you again for your time, Richard. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built for nonprofit people by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find me on LinkedIn or text me at 714-717-2474. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Find us on your favorite podcast streaming service, hit that follow button, and leave us a review to help us reach more nonprofit people like you. See you next time.